the best advice I can give myself as a dad is to be present throughout this journey of uncertainty and vulnerability and extreme happiness and tiredness. Hi there, my name is Philip Hartman and Being Dad is a show for dads. I meet and speak to unique dads, asking them to impart their wisdom and to share their experiences as dads with us. My next dad, Bruno Monteferri, is from Peru. He's 37 years old, he's married to Krista, and together they've got one daughter, Flora, who is two. Bruno is an impressive change maker. He's a conservationist, a lobbyist, a filmmaker, and an environmental lawyer. Talking to Bruno was like talking to a brother. We talk about family in Peru, surfing big waves, we exchanged each of our own experiences during the birth of our children, we discuss Bruno's conservation work and Bruno shares his views and family values and some of the stories of his own upbringing. Bruno is also an Ashoka Fellow and he's got a Master in Philosophy in Conservation Leadership. He's published several books and he's directed over 50 short videos, including the award-winning documentary Alamar. I put the link in the show notes. We recorded the session with Bruno in the middle of the Amazon, literally, and so there are birds and thunderstorm in the background, but it's actually quite epic. The most powerful takeaways for me as a dad were decide which of my acquired values I'd like to carry on with my own family. Make sure my kids experience nature as much as possible and it is important to have a purpose and to follow your heart. Some of you know about this initiative already. I initiated a fundraiser called Together for Cape Town during lockdown here in South Africa. We aim to raise enough funds for 3 million meals for kids in Cape Town's townships before the year is out. If you haven't yet, please do get involved and donate at togetherforcapetown.com. Thank you. All right, without any further ado, here is Bruno. Please enjoy the session and thank you for listening. Ciao. Bruno? I am so stoked to have you on. The last time we found, um, I was actually super inspired. I wanted to quit my company and <laughs> start conservational work only. Now, really, I mean it. it. It was an amazing, amazing call for me. And it was really inspiring. And, and you're doing very good work. And so I'm, I'm very honored to speak with you today as a dad. A uh, quick intro about yourself. And then I'd love, like you to give us an intro. I know that you're 37. Uh, you're married to Krista, who's funnily uh, half German also. Well, not also, she's half German. I'm fully German. <laughs> And uh, you have a two-year-old daughter whose name is Flora, if I remember correctly. You're an environmental uh, conservationist since 2004. And of course, you're a big wave surfer in Peru. And uh, you were almost, funny fact, you almost became a professional tennis player. And then you studied law and became an environmental lawyer and the rest is history <laughs> did i get that right or is it completely off what's can you give us a quick intro no i think that's completely accurate um okay yeah i'm the fourth of a very united family my parents used to have a restaurant with a figure with the image of a giant cat that you could see from two kilometers away um, so everyone is really hardworking in the family. Uh, we all were born in Lima, uh, but mm -hmm. um, now one of my brothers live in New York and the rest of us are in between Lima and well, now I'm in the Amazon in a place called Coca Chimba, 
uh, facing the Gokta waterfall, one of the most beautiful places you will find in Peru. Yeah, I saw the images the last time where we were speaking on video as we are now and uh, you showed me the house. It was amazing. And that's, I was also, after I quit my work, I would have come and visited you first. <laughs> that's good. Because amazing. Now, now we're building a, a couple of new rooms. So you have a, <laughs> we will have space for you and five uh, members of your beautiful family, which is also when, when I hear your story, I was like, I will never, I cannot complain about having too little time to live with one baby right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one baby, I mean, I don't want to offend anybody here listening, but one baby is actually quite easy. You could strap it to your back as the or the African mamas do, you know, our our ladies who help us here. Without them, we'd obviously be dead already. They're amazing, amazing, amazing. Happy Elsie and, and Marta. Um, they literally take a towel, brew, and they strap them, the babies, to their backs like this. Well, I probably they do that in the, the, South the, America as well, no? The same do they do in, that? The same happens in the Andes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's quite like the baby falls asleep immediately. It's quite soothing for the baby, actually. Well, I've never seen it in, in Germany. They want some people in Lima did uh, those ones with really cool designs, and for the first eight months, we were using only that to carry Flora all around. Like the yeah. first two to three months, uh, we did lots of hiking because we went to Austria to visit uh, mm -hmm. Crystal's parents, and it was amazing. Like she was two months. To, until she was three months, we were doing some hikes that were five hours per day. She was so happy and comfortable just walking, like listening to, to my heartbeats mainly because I was the one carrying her. Um, and it was one of the nicest things I also enjoyed as, as a dad, you know, like those walks with this little creature in the, in the cold. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we did that too. And did, did you strap her to the back or to your front? To the front. Yeah, and we. I also had one of those front strappers, and uh, my daughter. The only way she would fall asleep was, was for a while uh, to be strapped to either myself or my wife's front, um, because it's dark and it's kind of protected, and and that's it's amazing. I see they have a T-shirt now. Literally, it's a T-shirt that says something like "Best Dad Ever," and you can slide the baby into a pouch in front of the T-shirt. <laughs> it's quite cool. Yeah. Hey. I, I, um, yeah. No, I was going to just go? say something like, I remember like the first time I put that, uh, that layer, like, like it's like, uh, I don't know, like the first time you used it, you felt like you would never going to be able to make it work right. Like with many things with becoming a dad, like, um, like the first time you think that you need to have like these engineer skills as an astronaut, uh, but it's actually really easy. It's just like, you are so like clueless that you cannot even fold, uh, um, how do you call the, the the bets that you can organize and you can take everywhere? Like the first time. Oh, those camp cuts. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> I was looking at that. I was yeah. like, how do you even fold this? No, and, but yeah, like it, it all comes with little steps. The same here. Hey, different topic. I wanted to ask you, I know you are, which is also amazing. I didn't even mention that you are an Ashoka fellow and you are part of the Young Global Leaders Network and you're also a... Uh, in the global shapers community, do they? I, I was just interested. Do they have family-specific causes, or even specifically for dads, because they think about this kind of stuff? And the UN has now, um, actually, by UN Women, a cause that particularly includes dads. He and she, I think it's called. Do you guys also have that in one of the organizations I just mentioned, or that you're part of? 
I mean, I I will have to look at that. Um, I mean, the the Ashoka uh, change makers network is it's huge. You know, it's all over the world, um, and definitely many Ashoka fellows uh, focus on values that are uh, evolving around the family. Um, mm -hmm. So, but so definitely has a direct connection with uh, family members and and family values and 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 homes but i don't know if any ashoka fellow that is actually working on on raising the awareness of how to be a more conscious dad uh, maybe you could yeah. be the first one <laughs> i don't know if they would take me but it would be interesting actually i know there's one german uh, man uh, father who who founded It's called Vater uh, MBH or something, which means literally Father, uh, Father Limited or something like that. And he does a lot of work with companies. He's a Ashoka Fellow. He does a lot of work with companies trying to incite um, or instill change in companies, which makes a lot of sense because we go to work every day for eight hours, right? And so that's where we spend time and that's where you can obviously impact a lot of people in a positive way. Yeah. Hey, Do you want to talk a little bit about your own experience as a dad? Um, there was so much interesting stuff. I mean, the last time you did, we talked a lot about, obviously, about family in quarantine. What I found interesting was your realization uh, with your own dad's expectations ar around roles and how that's evolving. You shared a little bit there. But then, of course, outside of quarantine and corona, I think no one can hear corona anymore. <laughs> Maybe talk that, but... Talk also maybe about how was your experience as a dad? How did it feel? What did you learn? What can you share? What worked? What really didn't work? Yeah, I think like when when do you start? Like the experience of becoming a dad uh, for me it started like a lot of long time ago because when I was 22 years old, I was living in Europe at the, at the moment. I went to live for Barcelona for nine, ten months. And, and at that time, I started to write a, uh, a book with little ideas and, and reflections that I wanted to share with, uh, with a future child of mine. You know, I had read this amazing book by Sabater called Etica para Amador. Um, and this book was uh, bringing up reflections um, on how to have ethical values and the importance of ethics in life. Um, so I, I was thinking that some friends of mine do not even consider to have a child even at this stage now, I'm close to 40. Um, I already wanted to be a dad since I was 20, you know, so uh, I was really cherishing and trying to already build myself to, to be better when I became a dad at, at some point in my life, you know. Um, when I uh, knew I was going to be a dad and, and we already, like with Crystal, we were planning to have it, like we, we waited for some years to have our relationship stable enough. I know sometimes it just comes, like becoming a dad is something that you cannot plan so much. But in our case, we were able to plan it and, and look to, to have a baby. And, and then I remember like the first stage is pregnancy, you know, and, and how as a dad, you create a strong link with the belly, with the baby inside the belly, And also, how do you react so that you can create the more comfortable environment for your wife or your partner? No, um, I think that during pregnancy, the most important role for for me was uh, to create a connection, but also to make it as easier as possible for Crystal to 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 deal with the physical changes that come with pregnancy. 
and physical and also from an from an emotional perspective, um, all the changes in hormones and, and, and things, no? And I think that's the first stage is how to be a good dad and, and, and a partner through that stage, no? I know how it was for you also. And how, many, how did you manage to connect to the baby in the belly? It's very, uh, uh, for me, it was very abstract. Like it was a very, it's a very theoretical exercise, right? Because you can't feel the baby. It, firstly, it's only in your mind. You have to... It's an abstraction. How did especially you guys for, do that? I think especially for the first three months or four months that you cannot see any change mainly, no? But yeah, I know, it's just like... Uh, there were some apps that... Krista was much more inspired by those apps, like looking at what was the size of the baby at every time. Um, mm -hmm. I have to say, in the first months, I was really happy, but she would be like, everything around her life would be the baby, no? Um, yeah. and, and I was really aware of it. Uh, what we would do was like, I don't know, put your ear on the belly, um, you know, like maybe put some music that you liked that you felt that the baby was also listening to. Um, yeah, like trying to start sharing moments, no? Like basically, that's yeah. life. Life is about sharing moments. So just yeah. starting to be conscious about that you're already sharing moments with a third being, no? And, and some of my friends are right now going through that stage, like friends that I love a lot. And, and, and I can now see like the, the uncertainty and the fear that, that kind of you have, because like during those first months also, like you don't want to, to maybe like be so vulnerable and, and maybe because you can still have a loss and, and you want to put all your uh, hopes and energies that that things are going to be okay and, and then things don't go out as planned. But I think like dealing with that vulner vulnerability at that uncertainty has been actually the, the main lesson of, of becoming a dad. You know, I think that's, that for me is the main lesson is you cannot control everything. You can, and you have to just accept that vulnerability that I think becoming a dad is that is, is embracing vulnerability and, and uncertainty. Yeah. Yeah, it's very true. No one told me this. I don't know if I if I told you this before. I think I've shared it on the podcast. But we had a, a pregnancy that didn't work before the we adopted the twins, and I, it was a molar pregnancy. Something that never happens. It's when the embryo grows into some sort of it grows into some sort of a cluster of cells, but doesn't develop as an embryo. So you actually have to take it out. And it was it was really really traumatic, and no one told me. I didn't. I was like super naive as a father. I didn't know as a bec becoming a dad. I didn't know that like people die and kids die. For me, it's like super rosy. Wife falls pregnant, and then the baby comes. You know, kind of like this pregnancy tea and chocolate. And that's not how pregnancy always is. I'm not scaring anybody here, but it is very true. Like you said, you have to embrace the idea that. Also, it can sometimes not work, and you can't um, you can't influence that really. You can, in a sense that you can have a big impact on um, the baby's health even way before you, your wife falls pregnant by how you eat and how you exercise. So I learned all of that afterwards in the process. It's very important that you don't drink, uh, that you do exercise, and and all of these things. I, I know it because I did a sperm count. Um, when we tried to fall pregnant, my sperm was like super shit. <laughs> and the dude was like, yeah, look, your sperm is crooked here and it's not swimming and there's not enough sperm uh, cells. 
And then I went on like a three months super healthy stint, exercising a lot, not drinking alcohol at all, eating really, really healthy. I mean, I'm vegetarian anyways, but I was really healthy. And we did another one and they were like, wow, you're a superstar, super fertile. And I was like, yeah, this is so cool. <laughs> but you can make a big impact on that. And it has an impact on the baby's uh, brain development, on the baby's, on the baby's, on the child's future, like forever, you know, like everything yeah sorry totally off of a tangent no no but that's that's really interesting for sure um yeah yeah um yeah. well my, my mom like she lost three babies when she was like before having me like i'm i'm sure that mm -hmm. if, if that would not have happened and i would not have been swimming like really fast uh, i would <laughs> be here you no know? um so so yeah i think like it it it's I, I, I'm just thinking that it has to be, you have to accept uncertainty. But I remember like once my mom and my, my sister, like I was like, yeah, like um, Crystal is pregnant, but we, we, we still don't want to put so much, you know, um, don't be so excited about it. And they were like, what? Everything's going to be okay. Just like, it's like yeah. going to surf a big wave and thinking before you're paddling that you're going to fall. Like if you think with, if you go with that, then you fall, yeah. then you fall yeah. for sure. No. So, yeah. so yeah, that, I remember like those words from my mom and my sister were like, yeah, that's true. Like everything's going to be okay. And, and well, if this don't, don't go okay, then you have to adapt and then you have to deal with yeah. the crisis. But like you, you can't have in your mind, but definitely you have to just aim for the positive. No, and, and I actually yeah, think yeah. that's, that's the way I, I also live my life. So, um, but then when, when, when birth comes, no, like that's a whole different roller coaster, no, because um you can cook you can do sports but the whole process of taking a baby out of uh, a nine months old or actually 10 months old baby from a mom's belly like that's something that we cannot do so um we also went a lot into these uh practices to to have be a more present dad during uh birth Uh, from respiratory exercises to just the mindset and 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 for that in that process it was also very clear for me that uh, my role was more like making sure that the doctors and the way that Crystal was approached in the because we we went to a hospital um, um, but we chose a hospital that was really comfortable that were they were really pro natural labor. Um, but the idea was that during that process, like she could be in her own uh, process to connect with the baby and, and, and be comfortable with herself. And I could deal with any other distraction. No. So during birth that become, that became also my, my main role. No. Yeah. Was this in, in Peru or in Lima or in Austria? That was in Lima. That was in Lima. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, sorry, when I say Lima, I mean, Yeah, you understand. Okay, and and how long was the birth? Um, we went. I remember, like, actually, I surfed Pico Alto that day. So because the, <laughs> the baby the, <laughs> Flora was not coming out, no, <laughs> Flora was not coming out. Um, so I mean, I, I think it was when when she was already like eight months. Um, we stopped traveling because we did travel a lot yeah. before having Flora and also after having Flora. Um, But then when she was eight months, we stopped traveling and, um, and I remember like, uh, Crystal had a lot of contractions since she had like six months and a half, like, um, oh, wow. yeah. Um, 
there was a lot of like um, there were some episodes of, of anxiety and stress that uh, can also share some ideas on that um, and lessons from that. Um, but then when when it was eight months, the thing is that I was not traveling. Um, we would be going to the doctors and everything was going well. The baby was totally comfortable inside the belly. Um, and then there were a couple of moments where, okay, this is the date where like it could happen or maybe that yeah, at some point Krista was going to be induced. Um, and at the end it was clear that the baby was not coming out and we, w we had a date for, let's say Tuesday, no, when we were going to go to the hospital and she was going to be induced. Uh, we had one episode when we actually went running to the hospital in the middle of the night because she had contractions and we thought the baby was coming, which was very useful at the end because we kind of went through the process. So when mm -hmm. actually a moment came, I actually know mm -hmm. which room we had to go, where, when do I have to go to admin? Um, so it was the, the, having that like a simulacro uh, helped yeah, us yeah. a lot during the actual moment. It would not be a bad idea to actually... Uh, for uh, for other dads and moms to actually like visit the hospital and do a simulacro of okay first you're gonna come to this station then they're gonna take yeah. you to the next one because then it, it gives you a little bit more certainty on the on these uncertain times no but yeah. okay yeah it's like a dry run yeah. yeah it was Saturday I remember we went to the we had this uh, feria where we buy the um, organic food for us. Um, we had sex because sex was, of course, it's you, uh, sex is very important if you want a baby to go out. It stimulates the baby. Um, and um, then we, I went to, there was this massive swell in Lima. And okay, the, the date was already for three days from that Saturday. So I went surfing Pico Alto. I came out from Pico Alto. Pico Alto, for you to understand, is like one and a half, and a half hours drive south. And then you have to pile for one hour. And then you are in the sea for three hours, four hours as a normal big wave session. So I was really tired when I came home, really happy. Um, but I remember like at 7 p.m., like um, I think my sister came to visit. So we had dinner with them. And then by the time I went to bed, me and Crystal, we were both exhausted. No, uh, it was 9 p.m. And then at 11.30 midnight, Crystal wakes me up and say, I have contractions. I think the baby's coming. Um... um and yeah, like, uh, how do you say in English? When, cuando rompe la fuente, when she breaks the, breaks the, the Break water. the water, yeah. Break the water. Yeah. Um, and she was like, oh, but I think I can, I can manage a little bit more and can just sleep and go in the morning. I was like, no, no way. Like, yeah. just broke the water. Would you have to go? Dude, like, we yeah, have to go. We don't have to go really fast, but we just have to go. So we took our time. Uh, I think she got a shower. Um, and then we go to the clinic and, and the process started. Uh, she was really like uh, forward to to giving natural birth, um, and she kept with that for hours, like um, until nine a.m. in the morning. So it was the whole night. My sister came. Um, she came, and I was able actually to sleep for a couple of hours during the night. And uh, Crystal was being like this superwoman. Um, I was next to her the whole time, but I, I slept those two hours. Um, and then at around 9.30 or... No, at 9.30, Flora was born. So it was around 6.30 a.m. in the morning. The, the doctor told us that um, the contractions were getting really strong and there was no dilatation. And, and we had to go through a, a bisection, right? A cesarea? Yeah. 
C-section, yeah. yeah. C-section, yeah. Um, so that, uh, for Crystal, that was really hard for me also. Um, so, because it's, you know, from being like super power woman yeah, yeah. to being more powerless yeah. and, and everything. Um, yeah. But the hospital was great. Uh, I remember as, uh, the experience of as a dad. It was like, they put me in a different room first to, because then you're going to go to a, a surgery room. And, and the guys just left me there. And I remember this moment was I was like, I was being like this guardian, like I was prepared to ease like this lion inside a cage to protect, you know, my woman yeah. and she was not going to be disturbed by anyone. And then they put yeah. me aside in this room and, and I thought, okay, they're going to come in a couple of minutes to get me into a room. And then it was 10 and minutes, no 15 minutes. <laughs> and I was, what's going on here? And, it's, and in this little room, yeah. no? So I said, oh, there's no way I'm going to stay here. And, and, and I just get out of the room and I went asking for, for people and, and, and I actually went into a surgery room, no? And, and I went into a surgery room and, and Crystal Lee had already been opened. Um, she was, uh, she was really happy to see me and, and I'm not scared of blood or anything, but the, and the doctor was just saying like, oh yeah, the, the dad should come, no? And, and I actually came by my own in that moment, no? Uh, but I felt that a lot of, uh, this, I do felt disempowered in that process of like the, of not having me on board before, no? Or like, yeah. I, I understand that the doctors don't want to have more panic around in or somebody like desmayandos a fainting in the room. But in my case, I was really comfortable being in that place. I wanted to be there and they didn't ask, no? So I think yeah. for other dads, it will be really important that they um, don't only talk to the doctors because the doctor knew that I wanted to be there, but that they also talk to the people that would be in a possible um, um, C-section, because there yeah. are people in control of that room, no? So maybe yeah. that's a lesson that I will learn, and if in the future we have to do uh, C-section, I will be like, as the moment that she goes in, I go in with her, no? Yeah, I agree. It, it, it happened to me as well. I mean, I was in the birth from the start, but there was a situation where the babies had to be separated. Um, so we had agreed that whatever happens because Vanessa couldn't go obviously it was also a c-section which she was very very sad about but you can't have triplets uh, natural because the third one will definitely have uh, not enough oxygen mm -hmm. eventually and so it's very risky so they, don't, they just don't do it and it, and you shouldn't do it and yeah. so it, we agreed in the beginning that or before that if if one of the babies or two would have to leave her that I would go with the babies because she would be fine and so they wouldn't. So I went in the NICU, in the intensive care unit, uh, with the with the baby and the doctors, and they wouldn't let me near the baby. They were like, "No, no, this is not for you to be here now." And no one explained themselves to me. So it was really, it really felt like I was like, "Wow, okay, the baby's busy dying," and it was like very stressful. They had, they were very professional. <laughs> there were like twenty people involved in the birth, um, but like they didn't communicate with me. So I. I wasn't able to be there. I couldn't watch. I couldn't stand there. And so they just sent me away until the the, um, the uh, gynae came. And she was so angry. She was like, he's the father. And it, it turned out it was just a routine thing where they put like a kind of kind of like a, a pipe into the belly button because it's a good entry, right? Because the baby's been feeding there for nine months. Um, well, in our case, less months. But Anyways, there's, you know, there's a big opening, so you can go in there. And it just looks messy. So they didn't want me to see that. 
But they didn't explain themselves neither, and I would have been fine. But this way, I was like sitting there meditating, going, okay, the baby's busy dying, I'm not allowed to go there, I don't want to disturb them because I'll be in the way, so the best chances are I'm just staying out of the way. But it really didn't feel nice, and, and to what your point, and other dads uh, share the same, you know, so I do think that dads should be more involved, be, get, like, be more involved from the third party, so to speak. Sure, the dad is not the main role, but it's an important part in the birth also. Yeah, Yeah, and it also super yeah. important that you spoke to your wife before of what you were doing that case, no? Because um, yeah. like when when Flora came out, like like she screamed right away, like uh, she was okay, no? Um, uh, the only surprise was that the the doctor told, like when, when she came out, the doctor was, oh, it's a boy, you know? And five seconds later, the nurse says, no doctor, it's a, it's a, it's a girl, you know? And, and I was like, uh, same with Crystal, oh, it's uh you know, it's the name of the boy. And, oh no, it's a Flora. And she was like, oh, like, oh, it was such a nice yeah. moment. Uh, but then like, okay, I saw a baby, she was okay. And then like, uh, they were like, come see the baby. And I was like, I was seeing my wife, like, like opened, you no, know? like, uh, yeah. I wanted to be with her. Like the baby had four people around her. Um, so I yeah. decided to stay with Crystal, you know, and just be with her, uh, until she was okay with me to go, you know? Um, yeah. and I think that's something that maybe like other dads could forget. Like they, like, I know, like some people are like taking a camera and things like that. I, I, I didn't no, care no, about yeah. like, That's not a moment to take a picture. Yeah. Like some people are filming. Yeah. I, I will not understand that. Um, just be with your, your wife, you no, know? like, um, and be present for for her mainly because mm -hmm. she's the more aware of that. With the baby, the, the doctors are going to have to find a way to solve the situation if something goes bad. No. Um, mm, yeah. 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 I agree. Or cell phone off. I mean, one thing that is very important is skin to skin. So ideally, the baby goes straight onto the mom's uh, chest, and the baby will actually find find the nipples immediately. It kind of crawls up there and and cuddles up and. If the if that's not possible, the father should take the baby on the Completely. bare chest mm -hmm. straight away. That's very very important. Completely. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah thank you for sharing that, man. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. What you were saying? No. Yeah. Like, I was so happy that uh, in her case, like she went straight to crystal skin and she started like uh, she was a big baby already. Also, no, like she took her time inside the belly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. I, wa I wanted cute. to share that it's. The whole idea of vulnerability, like, um, I had a very traumatic experience in my family. Um, mm -hmm. like, uh, my, my, my aunt, uh, she lived in Venezuela and, and, um, and she got killed. Um, uh, it was a really like difficult, difficult time for all the family. And, and I remember like at that point when that happened, like I really closed a lot of my, my emotions to like, you know, love somebody so much that because you knew that that could be a possibility, you know? Um, and then, uh, yeah, when Flora came out and I remember being in the, in the, like she had like 18 hours of being alive with us, no, like in, in our arms. And I remember being in this couch, like, you know, like holding her tight, you know, and very happy. And I was like happy, but at the same time, like sad, no? And I remember Crystal always says like, hey, what's going on? And, and I remember that that was the moment where I realized that I'm, I'm not going to be able to control everything that happens in her life, but that uh, maybe like that barrier that I had been raising towards other people of not like uh, loving people like to 160%. Uh, 
uh, because I knew that something bad could happen. The baby would broke that barriers in less than 12 hours since I could see her eyes. No, um, yeah. it was really powerful. Like, um, and, and yeah, it made me understand a lot about how also like how the love of a dad or a mom towards a child. No? It's something like you hear always, but you don't understand until you experience it no? in your own skin. Yeah. Well, it's actually true. And parents say I would give my life for my children. Many yeah. parents actually would, you know, that's, that's crazy. Um, but it's, it's not crazy. It's if you, if you have children, but if you don't have children, it's crazy. Do you, I want to talk a little bit about, um, the last time you shared so powerful stuff about family setups and family culture in, uh, I think it was actually about in Peru, but what well, you talked about indigenous people. I don't know where, which part um, of the world that was. Can you share a little bit about that? Because it would be interesting like to hear about the f cultural, cultural differences or cultural perspectives in your culture um, and surrounding countries or your area around that. How, okay, what can you share about that? Well, I mean, there's so much diversity in Peru. Um, There's over 55 indigenous peoples, no? And so each one of them, it's a whole world. Um, my surroundings directly, like, um, like people that live in Lima, um, I think it's, uh, it's still a lot of machismo. There's a lot of machismo still around, uh, mm -hmm. which has been changing a lot in the last years. Um, But if I compare myself to even to my dad, no, and I love my dad, and I think he's been a great dad to me. Uh, but in terms of the roles that, that, that people from his generation, like he's around 70, 70 72, 73, um, it's still like in the first years, like, no, like dad have to go work and, and get the money and, and mommy is, is in charge of the house, no, and, and, and I remember like now that we have to do the quarantine with him and it was like, To, to meet again, no? Meet again from when I left my house when I was 22 and now I'm 37 and, and how things have changed. Um, and I remember like Flora was crying and, and at some point was like, but why do you take her to the bathroom all the time? Or why do you, uh, why, why is mom not doing that? No? And I was like, that, like, like in our case, like we are like, uh, we try to raise our baby 50% to 50%. Like we change our roles and, um, I love changing diapers since the first time, like Crystal didn't change a diaper until it was 10 days after her C-section, no? Um, yeah. um, I like to take the night shifts. I've always tried to make the baby go to sleep. No, I, I think that, uh, it's so different to get a baby to go to sleep with you because a mom will have the, will have the breast and, and the breast milk and it will be, I think, easier for any baby to go to sleep, like breastfeeding. But then you have to make an extra effort since the beginning to carry the baby and, and make her sleep. And for me, those moments of making her sleep have been the most relaxing like uh, moments that I, I cherish. Like, I don't know if she will, or yeah. maybe she will, not for, she will not remember that she was going to sleep with me, but I think the link and the bonding that you create from that moment, it's for sure with her. No? And, and in a moment of, yeah. of, of fear, she will go to you also, and not only with mom. No? So... I think as dads, we have to work uh, extra hard to, to gain a space in, 
in the sleep time, no? Yeah. Yeah, many many dads say this and I had the same feeling. Um often dads only manage later to connect with the baby really really closely like <laughs> funny enough what I've heard a few times uh, around nine months and it makes sense because the baby's in the in a womb for actually 10 months uh, you said it earlier too I don't know why people always say nine months because 40 weeks is actually 10 months but yeah almost 10 months but it is true and I think we do have to work extra hard Because, of course, the baby has bonded already in a physical and spiritual sense with the mother already. And so, but back to your dad, did he understand this? There's obviously traditional role um, views. What was his response yeah. to that? No, like, you I think, like, once, once we spoke and it was really, like, like, no, for him, was he respects a lot of different perspectives. But yeah. he, it was just colliding with his own vision, no? Because I was like, yeah. I, I don't, I don't want to connect with my kid when, when the kid starts speaking, no? Um, yeah, yeah. I'm connecting in different ways, and 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 that also is like a more egalitarian way of like, like the getting the benefits and also the burdens of having a baby, no? Because you have to put time, and and you have to put time, and it's some it's. It's a beautiful thing to do, no? But also, like, sometimes, of course, you, you would want to be working more or doing sports or whatever you want to do, no? So, yeah, once mm -hmm. I spoke to him and and I also say why I also wanted to, like, all the things that in my case, particular case, like Crystal has also shown me, because um, especially if you come, I think, from a place like Germany, uh, with uh, there's been so much civil rights that have been gained over time. Uh, yeah. that if you go to a country like Peru or maybe South Africa also, you will still see like injustices or inequalities that maybe if you were born in the country, you kind of like normalize a little bit. Like you are aware that it's not good, uh, but you you say, okay, but this is what things are and, and where you try, you, yeah. you, you can be trying to change things on a very little scale. But I remember like Crystal was like outraged by certain things, you know, and, and it was for me, was important to, to, to be able to see it through that and, And realize, of course, like those things have changed in our countries, and they should not stay yeah. like that, and they have to change. And and I see a lot of changes going in, on in Peru, especially on 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 machismo stuff. No, and um, I think we're in a really like uh, interesting moment for that. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think I mean that's a big part of the project why I'm doing it. I think that. Um If we can empower fathers, it also helps moms, right? Because there's more optionality. So in your case, in your example, not in your particular, in your own case, in your example, um, it's actually not beneficial for the mother to kind of be expected to do everything from a social perspective um, because she loses optionality, right? And if if we can do 50-50, it doesn't actually even have to be 50-50. If it's a more balanced kind of more equalized situation, then everybody has more optionality and that's better for everybody anyways because then you can make a choice. Yeah. Completely. I think it's more like about the, the communication and not giving yeah. for granted that someone else is going to do it. So maybe like yeah. saying, okay, what, what are the things that we have to do in the house? What are the things we have to do with the baby? And then as soon as it's clear that you have split those obligations and, and there's an agreement, it's just about respecting it, no? Uh, but... Yeah. Not, not giving for granted, okay, no, this is what you have to do because this is how cultures work, you know, and that's mainly what creates more problems and troubles, I think. Mm. 
Yeah, and and I can tell you, I discuss this all the time with other dads. Also, actually, I discussed it with a guy from Canada the other day. I haven't published him yet, but it was very interesting. What he said was, it was very difficult for him to, and Canada is a very forward-thinking country, right? They're advanced in that sense. I mean, they're all about, you know, equality and, and equality for gay people or LGBT. LGBT. You know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and he was, you know, he's an in interesting man and he's open-minded and, and he's about equality. But he said himself, it was very difficult for him to actually accept that his wife had equal desire to work professionally, I think once or twice a week only. But yet, he was like, you know, wow, this is like kind of my domain. That was just his feeling. And he had to kind of make that mental shift that his wife doesn't just want to by default assume the mother-only mother role. So I think it's also on the dads to to accept that, you know, and kind of embrace the idea that, that moms also might want to ha have a say and a different choice and not just be by default mom. Yeah. And it's also on the moms, by the way, because I think women amongst each other are very can can be very brutal <laughs> because there's a lot of competition and expectation and judgment. And men don't do that so much, I, I find. Um for moms it's more like, you know, what will the other think? And am I the best mom? And this is, you know, kind of like it's more outward. Your your self worth from a society perspective, I think as a mum is tied much more to the outward idea that people or the what people see and project. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it, it's more I, difficult. But it's all about perspective. Can you talk a bit about the the um locals? You shared a story with the fish the last time. Do you know and that's just about perspective. Maybe you can share that and then do you know how they view family? Uh, setups and structures and dads and moms and how does the tribe take care of families and that i mean it changes so much depending on the on the on the indigenous people on the community you know but um i remember for me it was really important i was around uh, 19 years old at the moment i started traveling away from lima and i will get in a bus and i went to the central amazon and and i met some uh, members of the ashaninka community um, I remember like um, going to this village and, and I remember like the first time I went there, I, the pond was full of fish, you no, know? like, um, and then I went back three months after that and, and there was no fish in the pond and all those fish were part of this project that was supported by my university um, so that they could have aquaculture and they would have a constant run of protein for their, so that they can improve their nutrition system. And, and remember like, asking, like, hey, what happened with the fish? And I was like, no, that it happened that um, this person that you met like, got sick. So we decided to get all, out of, all the fish out of the pond so that we could like, pay for the cost of the hospital no, for him. And, and I was like, wait, but that was your insurance for, for, for all the community. No? And, and I remember for, for me that, that moment was really clear that how um, maybe like Western... Uh, uh, societies like we have already like created these concepts of like long-term 
or I know, like being, having more risk aversion to the future. So you have to have an insurance, you have to have all these different things that we create and a bank and some savings in your account. And, and definitely, for funny, definitely for some indigenous peoples, those concepts are not there. It's more about like uh, what's going on in this moment. Um, I think also that's why they sometimes are much more present, no, in, in conversations, in in situations, um, and the fact that the community had income, they first have to save someone, and they will have to deal with the next situation. No, it was um, one of my friends was telling me this this concept that for indigenous people, the present is in the um, the the past is in the in front of you, and the future is in the back. No, because the the past you can see. Therefore, you can see it with your eyes in front of you. The future <laughs> is in the back because you cannot see it. And I was like, if 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 the concept of future and back, if if it's in in the front or in the yeah, back, yeah. changes, you know, like everything can change. You no, know? um, but I, I just want to say that being able to work in Peru with communities and and especially in the Amazon and and also like knowing more from from friends and anthropologists, what is the vision of creation for them? Also open a whole idea of like, first, how do you look at religion? How do you look at uh, a different concepts that we, I know from richness and what is to be an, uh, a successful person in life? Like all those concepts vary from community to community, you know? And, but the idea that you can create your own path and your happiness based on the concepts that you really like want to give priority to. I think that's what I took the most. No, like you can have different paths to become happy. You have you can have different paths to create your own sense of what is a successful and a well lived life. Um, so I think from then on, like uh, for me, like what I got more from from visiting communities was to to create my own path. No, and understand that you can work society to to get some benefits. Uh, I also had a very privileged, uh, I was very privileged to, to, to come to a very united family, uh, uh, with enough resources to, to get me to a really good school. So of course I, I start, I'm starting like the, you know, the, let's say the life with a very, like, with a lot of handicap, no, but still like being able to just create and build with your own blocks, the life that you want to live, no. And, and, and that's always going to be scary because you have to kind of like, I know, like there's, you have to take a little bit more risks, but at the end, if you do it right, I think you can, you can really build whatever you makes you happy. No. Yeah. Making your own path is more risky, but it's more, more, there's a higher risk reward ratio, so to speak. What I really liked the last time you said a sentence, I wrote it down here. I really loved it. You said, what are the values that I want to carry on in my family? And that is really what you just explained now. And and I love that idea. And of I mean, it's obvious, but people like don't, including myself, often, you know, we just take for granted what's there and like you kind of carry on. But it makes so much sense to take a moment and, and think about it and think about what you actually want to carry on, you know, in terms of like, what do you want to instill in your family? Where do you want to go? What are your values? And don't just take what's what's been given to you and just accept it. Yeah. Hey, before we take up all the time, can do you what do you want to share where I haven't gone yet? I was thinking about like uh, some friends that for me inspired me a lot. I think like something good for other dads would be like 
already looking at some references. No, like sometimes you're just really clueless, but then if you see some friends and you can see, okay, uh, that's kind of like the the road w where I can see and envision myself in life. Um, I think we can also talk a little bit about giving more access to nature to kids. I think that's something very important yeah. for me. And maybe like also like um, the link between work and, and, and kids, no? Like how you manage to feed both of them uh, and the challenges of that. No? Yeah. It's still a challenge for me. Yeah. Yeah, nat nature and nature and kids and work of kids I, all three actually and values are obviously the most important because we have borrowed this planet from our children completely, and we have to give it back in a better state and we are not doing a good job at the moment so please can you share about about those your views on those topics yeah i mean in terms of the access to nature first um one of my mentors for me is Joaquin Leguía, uh, a good friend of mine. Um, he created an organization called Anya, and, and he basically showed me that uh, if kids have a connection with nature in their early ages, they will raise to have more empathy towards other natural beings when they grow old. Um, it's very important that they get this a lot of contact with nature in the first five years of their life, because from that is going to depend the amount of empathy that they will have in the future. No, so um, uh, Joaquin, what he does is he created this organization where he created a concept called Tierra de Niños or Land of the Children, and and he was inspired with some of the Quechua um, uh, values of reciprocity. Um, so what he sh shows kids is that they should have a land for of their own. And in that land, they should, for instance, um, plant there. They have to plant something for themselves. They have to plant something for someone they love, maybe uh, their grandma, their mom, or some, and something for nature. So from early ages, you can create this concept that you are uh, a being within a society and, and also like break a little bit this anthropocentric idea that dominates us right now towards a more ecocentric, where you also share the planet with other creatures, no? Um, I, I love that idea and and Amazing. And, he, and he's always talk, talk, always talking about the concept of crianza. No, crianza is like raising someone. No, and 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 he, and he was showing that in the Andean communities, when you talk about crianza, you crias like you you raise a plant. The plant is also criándote a ti. It's also like raising you because it's giving you certain values. When you have a plant, when you have um, an animal, no, uh, and so it's. This crianza, it's, it's, it's a mutual effect process of learning, an iterative, um, never-ending process. And, and I love that idea yeah. from, the, from the Quechua communities also to, to think about becoming that. And, you know? Yeah, I agree with it. I, I, I'm a permaculturist. Well, <laughs> semi, uh, <laughs> within reason in, in, in my context. But I, you know, plant food with the kids. We have chicken. So they pluck the eggs from the from the chicken coop, and we harvest tomatoes and things in 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 the in the veggie garden. It's a big veggie garden, sixty square meters, amazing, uh, more probably. And and so what it does, of course, it's like totally unsustainable. You know, it's just expensive, really. But it's amazing, good food, and um, because you need more scale, really, for so many people that we are. But it helps, and I can confirm what you're saying. It helps. Um, the children to be more connected to the food 
And I think that we are very disconnected to our food as humans. And, and that's not good. You know, if kids think that milk comes from the supermarket, that's a problem because, they, you know, there's, there's a disconnect in, in, in nature and humanity in that sense. Yeah. I love the idea of having the child um, plant three different philosophies in, in their garden. Some, something for nature, something for yourself and something for someone else. That's really amazing. We're going to try that with the older ones. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I have this challenge of looking for, I remember like reading something like that in this surfing magazine when I was 12 years old, that somebody mm. from Peru went to Indonesia and, and, and I still remember the name. It was, it was called something like Tri Hata Karana. Uh, mm -hmm. I should actually ask Crystal now like, about like what it means in Indonesian and if I remember the word correctly. But it was also like about this philosophy of, of three worlds, no, in, in your own identity, your society and, and the natural world, no? And, and, and yeah, and as a lawyer, I think we have to include nature much more, no? And it's great. Like, I think there's also a, a new trend of, of giving nature, like rights for nature. I know if you've heard about that. Yeah. There's, there's, well, this, uh, yeah, you, that's what you do. Yeah. Yeah. But well, you there, make policy. Yeah. Yeah. But now there's like a whole, uh, trend in the world where, Rivers are becoming, um, you know, like they be, you you uh, give yeah, rights entities. to nature. Yeah, yeah. that's what yeah. we did with surf breaks. No, I, I mentioned to you that some of my yeah. work was protecting surf breaks in Peru, and what we achieved with the help of hundreds of people was to get surf breaks protected uh, because they become illegal entities. Um, so yeah, we need that to do that with rivers. We need that to do with mountains, like sacred sites, and. And much more sites, no? Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's amazing. That. Like I said, I wanted to stop my work. <laughs> <laughs> Come work with you. I'm, it's, it's, I really, I find it really, really inspiring. I mean, it's amazing. Like, to think about the fact that you can have an entity, that you can have a, 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 some nature item or, or, or thing in nature beca become an, an own entity in the legal framework is, is just amazing. Like, Of course, it makes so much sense. It actually makes so much sense. Because right now, like, if everything in nature, from law, if you look at different laws, are natural resources. Yeah. So it's a yeah. resource for you to use. You know, like, yeah. fish are not fish, it's natural resource. Um, yeah. it's, it's crazy, but all that narrative also shapes the way that we, we, we kind of, like, abstract ourselves from, from them, no? And, and instead of having this uh, more like a collaboration approach and... and convivencia no? and coexisting yeah. but but anyway I, i wanted to ask you something also have you changed something as a big wave surfer after becoming that do you mean have i changed something in surfing you mean yeah, am i like, less risk for instance, risk averse for instance yeah. I, um i'm like i don't surf i mean of course it's a situation where you can die very realistically like but i i try and be very safe and maybe i catch less waves um, than I would, I guess. And I'm not the best surfer out there anyways. But like, for instance, last Saturday, it was a very big sunset for me, maybe 25, 30 foot or something, like really big waves. Um, and I meditated the night before and I visualized the night before and the morning I got up like in the dark still. And I literally um, decided that I will be the safest surfer today in the water and I didn't catch a wave that day and it was really challenging there was a lot of wind and there was um, really good really good surfers out there Twiggy Baker was there he's three times world champion 
you know, he's South African and, and all the local guys, and they're much better than, than me, of course. And so I was sitting in the wrong spot anyways, but I think partly because I was like, okay, I'm just going to be safe, you know. Now when I go surfing, my wife says, please be very careful, we still need you. And it has a totally different gravity uh, than than before. Of course, you don't want to die, but yeah, you take it. I did take, I do take a different view. Like now I surf with a vest. I have a, a Quicksilver inflatable vest. I never had that before. Um, I think one change also that happened is that I have a lot less time and capacity for training. Mm. Like I was training a lot more before. And now just due to the fact that I have five kids and, and I run a company and I run charity and, you know, and I'd want to do a podcast and I'm pitching this this podcast now for Netflix or Amazon um, original. So it, it doesn't really matter any, it, it will be the next iteration will be video. And, and then I told you I want to, Hey, and the garden. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the garden. And, <laughs> and I want to do this, this, um, and I also want to have a life. And so I, I, I trade a lot less, you know, that's one mm. big change. And I, I feel that in the, in the waves, I'm still fit. Um, I still train three, four times a week, but, but less intense. So that has changed. Yeah. Yeah. In, in my case, like, um, it's, it's, it's interesting, but I feel like now I've organized my life more, um, because the yeah. thing that really like changed, uh, not even with, with having a baby, but really from pregnancy, because as I said, like, uh, Crystal got with the change of hormones and everything like, uh, some anxiety and, and like moments. Um, and it also showed me that I couldn't have, uh, I'm also about like having a lot of projects in my life and always like wanting more and, and people yeah. want to meet and I always said yes. And, yeah. and, and I have put a lot of meetings in my nights, you know, like, uh, because there's things that I love. I wanted to talk to people about, like, I have to say like most of my work is uh, that people come to, to our NGO to ask for advice of how to protect a certain place. So it's something I'm, yeah. I'm really passionate about. Like, and, and it's nice people. So usually it's like something that I enjoy a lot. But of course, it was taking time from being with my wife. Um, um, so since that moment, like the main change that happened in my life was like, I'm not going to have any work meetings after 6 p.m. That was my, yeah. like, no one... And actually has organized a lot my life. Um, yeah. And now I, I actually train, like I started doing something called Beast Pool Training with some friends. It's uh, actually a training for big wave surfing, um, which we will, I will go every Tuesday and, went, and Thursdays uh, to a pool and train with friends who, who, with whom we can have more, together we could create a more safe environment, no? Um, also uh, promoted by the whole culture of the big wave risk assessment group that also okay. has a chapter in Peru, no? Um, of course, now I, I use an impact vest and, and I'm using also a, um, a helmet every time I go and, and surf big waves. That's such a good idea. The last yeah. time on Saturday, I saw, I mean, the, the, you know, I surf like a 10-foot board, a 10-foot four board, actually, and it's like this thick. It's really, really, really thick. And there was so much wind, I got blown off the face and the board went flying and, it landed next to me on the water, but it was really loud. And I was like, wow, if that hits my head, you'll, it'll 100%, 100% it'll knock you out and potentially break your skull in any case. And it's, it's probably a good idea to actually wear a helmet. Yeah. 
Completely, completely, yeah. yeah. Um, hey, um, you said kids and access to work because I still want to con connect these three topics. Yeah, kids and um, nature, kids and work, and and values. Yeah. So, um, well, the last thing I said was part of that. No, like um, creating more boundaries to when you are working and where you're not because kids yeah. love routines. Like they do love routines. They like um, when you read the book with them when you have uh, breakfast and I know peeling the oranges, whatever you do with them. But uh, they're really like keen to like, if you can create a game out of a routine, like going to a bathroom, you know, like in our case, it's like, let's go run to the toilet because we need to pee on top of the whale that is inside the, the you no, know, inside the toilet. Like um, I will create any creature <laughs> so that she can pee on the next creature. No. Um, yeah. So then, like, every time she wants to pee, it's like this moment of happiness because we're both running, like, go, corre, corre, corre. No, like, uh, and, and she's so happy to think what image has, <laughs> what creature she has peed on, no, and every time. Um, yeah, that's amazing. So, yeah, like, how to make games out of the routines, uh, but at the same time, you have to make space for that. So, um, kids and work, we have been taking Flora everywhere. We have the luck that uh, both Kristen and I work in the same organization. Um, so if we had to go and talk to a community in the Amazon, we will go with Flora. And, uh, and in the first year, she will be strapped to me or to her. It was really interesting to see uh, more of the campesino communities looking at me with the baby because that's something you don't yeah, see yeah. here. Uh, you don't see that, yeah. Yeah. And, and we will be giving a speech with like in an, with, uh, in an auditorium and the baby was with me sleeping um, and she started crying I was just like naturally yeah baby's crying she's with me no and that's what babies do um, so it was also like trying to take her everywhere um, but then also with uh, I think with during the quarantine it's been a little bit uh, difficult for sure for well for People have lost their work and people have died. Nobody, I mean, like in, in this situation of how to do, deal with, with your job, um, the fact that they had to compete with a computer, no, because like last year I would go at 9 a.m. Uh, when we live in Lima, I go in a bicycle to my work and I go at 8.45, I go to work in 15 minutes, I come back at a certain moment, she expects me to come at that time and, and she already processed that routine, no? And then when we have to travel around Peru, we take her and she comes with us and she's always with us during that time. That was our routine before COVID. Now we have been able to actually do teleworking. It's been great because uh, in one sense, because we could come to this land that, uh, where we have this house in Amazonas, where I'm speaking to you right now, which is a beautiful place. But from nine to six, she would have to understand that we were working, looking at computer Uh, so you would see her like also sometimes, oh, I'm Arbeiten, no? Um, you know, like <laughs> she's also working, getting the laptop or getting yeah. the phone, no? And um, so it's also like how to also manage some specific routines so that she understands that you have to work looking at a computer. And I'm, I'm, I think in that case, it's just making good um, like chunks of time where you spend time with your kid. And then moments yeah. where the computer has to go off, no, and and the phone has to yeah, go off. Yeah, that's what I do. Yeah. No, I think that's you the most important to. thing. Yeah, it's hundred percent. You have to separate the work and the and the family, if you can. If there is physical, if there is an option to physically separate, you must do it. And mm -hmm. and when you're with the family, you must turn the uh, all the computers and the phone off, 
and not to work because it's easy to just continue on the phone and do emails and and never ever prioritize the device over the child. That can never happen. So so yes, when you work, it's sometimes inevitable that you leave because otherwise you will end up prioritizing the device over the child because you know you have to use the computer for the work and and so that is one hundred percent true what you say. Yeah, and my kids also do it. They go work all the time. (laughs) I'm going to work, and then they start working on some old laptop or like the keyboard or something. Sorry, what were you saying? No, that that I also like see on 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 some of the parents that I wanted to emulate. I could see that, like one of my best friends since childhood. uh, He's also a big wave surfer. He actually took me at first times to Pico Alto, and he's the father of two amazing girls. and he always was very good at that, at creating family time and separating work time. Uh, he also yeah. went to sleep like at 8 p.m. I will, I know what I could always call him at 6 a.m. in the morning, be- and at, I could never call him after 8:30 p.m. because he he was already in sleeping. But also because he was adapting to be able to wake up really early because he actually went to an office and much more rigid than, than my my work, uh, so that he could spend time in the nights and in the mornings with with the kids. No. Um, yeah. So I do it too. Yeah. I mean, I don't get up so early. I want to, but I can't manage to get to sleep so early um, because I'm not disciplined enough. But I work uh, around a schedule. I schedule almost 100% of my time and I schedule family time in, and that's non negotiable. And then I schedule everything around the family time. So from seven to nine is family in the morning, uh, breakfast and kids and all of that. And then I work from nine to 12. I drop my pen at 12, I w- uh, eat with the family from 12 to 1, and then I work until 5, and then I stop everything and I I don't work, and I sleep at 7. Yeah. Do you have it in your Google Calendar or your calendar like family time? Yeah. Or it's, yeah, yeah it works? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, so family is red. Uh, my own time is, is uh, blue. Training and all of that's in there, and uh, I even schedule date nights with my wife. Yeah. That's an art Everything. point. No? Also, like the through time, also like with with Crystal, we we were trying to see h- how do you create that space. No, like uh, I've seen in our families that they have like their once a month, like Tuesday night, where they actually go and get dressed and you know and and have fun. Yeah. yeah, I think that's also very. I have we to do say that. Like, what? Yeah, you do that, and that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, you have to. I mean. The, I, I think I'm going to say you have to. I think we have to. I really want to because you, you know, you 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 were best friends and you were partners and and you were lovers, um, you know, and and then suddenly the child comes, and another dad told me this the other day and it really resonated. When you get married, you don't say I I will love you for good or for good or for bad or until death do us part. Sorry, until the children do us part. <laughs> you say until death do us part. And so if the children come, yes, they come and they make the family structure. They don't come into a, an existing structure only, but they're making a new structure. So it's important that the structure adapts in that sense that was there. But it's also important that the part that was there already, which is the partnership between yourself and your partner, remains intact in the sense that you're not just parents only. Because if you're only co-parenting, you don't have a love relationship and you don't have time together anymore and all of that breaks away and that is what made the 
structure strong in the beginning. So it's important to maintain that and to spend time and effort on that. I really believe it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Completely. It's uh, hey. yeah, go ahead. Uh, about values. Uh, you shared them the last time. I know them, but can you share them? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, in my family, I feel like uh, the two most important values that I, I got from my family, uh, from my parents, uh, my mom, it's like, first, like, honesty, you know? Um, I remember even my brother, you know, like, when I was starting to, to work, to get a professional career, and I was like, oh, I know, like, I was asking for advice from him, and he was like, look, like, just be honest and hardworking, and things are going to go in your right way. You know, um, just be humble and honest and hardworking. And, and I could see that that's, that's his like way of doing stuff. And, and he's doing great in life to be honest in his work. Um, uh, but honesty, you know, as, as, and, and hardworking, like as one of the two main values as for my family. Um, personally, I wanted my, my, my kids to also to have a much more empathic approach to life and our cultures. No, I think that's what I wanted to share with Flora is like, she has to be much more open and with like a larger perspective to our cultures, um, to our ways of, of, of going through life. Um, and I think like empathy is the, the main thing that I would like to, to give her, you know? Um, and then I'm, I'm looking at different friends, no? I was thinking of what kind of values have I seen in other dads. And I was thinking about one of my friends from, from, from Cambridge University at, uh, he's the dad of two amazing kids and, and I, I love how he could play, you know, like he's an amazing artist and, and he would every time come with a video that he made, like an animation that he did with his kid, that he would really put like hours of hours in a weekend to create something where a Lego became like uh, an animation. And, and I think it's that uh, capacity of, of seeing, thrice, seeing things again through the eyes of a child. No, that, that curiosity, like really engaging with that beautiful process that you're going where Flora is looking at stars for the first time and she was re looking at stars. And I was like, I, I, I was, I realized that when she came to Amazonas, that was the first time she actually looked at stars because in Lima, there's this yeah. big cloud pollution, of yeah. <laughs> pollution that you cannot see it, you know, and it was amazing. Or, or like the first time she went through rain and then you have to take your shoes because you want to play with rain with her, no? And she knows that. It's not something that is dirty. It's actually like um, dirt with water and then you wash your... But I mean, we can go on and on about like different values of different friends that I feel that mm. they've given to me. But um, that example of my friends of creating a routine from this big wave surfer and a friend of mine since childhood that uh, created more structure and, and I feel like he's always there for friends or family whenever they need you. Um, my, my brother himself, like all the, like the sacrifices or, I mean, just everything he has to do to, to be with his kids because, um, he got split from his first wedding, from his first marriage. And, and you can see how much effort he puts into being a, a great dad for two families in different, one family, but split in different countries. Um, I have one of my brothers-in-law at, at he had this amazing level of communication with her daughters, with his daughters, that it's, it's a friend and a very like, uh, um, like there's authority, but there's also an horizontal approach where, where I know that my, my nieces will tell him anything, you know, and he has created that comfortable space where things can be talked and, and understand and, and 
So I think like you go through life and you start looking at these references and, and the values that they are giving you so that you can also like collect them and say, okay, these, these are the ones that are going to be the most important values that I want to have in, in my house. And I think that in that sense, my lesson is not which values they are. It's more be conscious and aware of what values do you want to have in your house. Maybe choose seven, yeah. you know, but write them down and maybe they change through years. And that's good because you're being more conscious of good values that you're bringing your family, no? Um, I think yeah. that's, that's the main thing I wanted to share. Yeah, thank you for that. And this is exactly what we're doing here, <laughs> showing different experiences from different fathers. Bruno, we are pretty much, well, we're over an hour. <laughs> is there anything that you haven't shared yet that you really want to share? Um, so please do so, no stress, otherwise we start wrapping up. I don't know. I think the last thing is how to be, how really not take anything for granted. I think that's the, the most important lesson is do not take anything for granted that somebody else is going to have one day more of life uh, or that you're going to be healthier whole time. Um, it's not something new, but it's just like the main thing that resonates with me. No, it's like if you don't take any relationship for granted, you're going to change the way you live every moment with that person throughout your life. No, um, I think that becomes much more important uh, during COVID. Um, And, and I think it's like something that maybe like you need to have tattooed in your, in your consciousness, you know, every time since you wake up, like, do not think like, like, I know, like nice weather from the weather for, from, from the people that are around, you know, um, yeah. and, and then like how with, with, with time, you can also like, um, if you want to be a good role model for your kids, like what are you doing really for that? For yourself like to to be conscious and to be aware and and um but also like going back to the idea of joaquin no like what are you actually putting in for for society in, in, in itself and and for our living creatures no like i think if, if if we really start doing that contribution and and you're sharing and, and making that express to your if you express that to your kids they will also become like better agents of in, in, in the world and actually it's it's very like um like i know what's the word exactly but um cliche no but really like what you're leaving to the world is is not like you're leaving the world better or worse you're leaving better kids for the world no it's not about like sometimes yeah. you say it's not about the world that you leave to your kids but what kind of kids do you leave to the world and and i yeah. completely like think that's right no i agree that's powerful bruno With that, I thank you so, so much for sitting or standing with me today. <laughs> This was really, really valuable for me. And I hope I will meet you one day. Hopefully we serve together. Yeah, thank you. I'm sure we will make that happen, Philip. And I, let's keep connected. And I wait whenever you are able to come to Peru or uh, South Africa is definitely my list. Or otherwise we have to serve somewhere in Germany when we're both around there yeah. in, in a river, maybe. <laughs> in a river, yeah. Cool, man. Thank you. Super. Thank you so much for listening in. I really hope you liked this session. If you did, please share this podcast. I'm sure you know someone who wants to hear this. Make no mistake, your shares are meaningful and they drive our success. So thank you for sharing. Thanks for listening in. Hope to catch you next time. Have an awesome day. Ciao.